This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Hi, Sherry Noon. Welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. What a stellar biography you have already. I mean, I'm so impressed. Let me share that with everybody. Ayesha is a Sri Lankan Australian writer with a unique cultural perspective, which she brings to her writing. She was born in Colombo. She travelled widely and worked as a journalist in Sri Lanka before immigrating to Australia in 2013. So she's a winner of the ASA HQ Commercial Fiction Prize. Her debut novel, which is the one we're talking about today, Untethered, is partly based on her experiences as an immigrant Muslim woman. She was a recipient of the inaugural 2019 Penguin Random House Writer Fellowship for an early draft of this novel. In 2020, she was selected for the Rosie Scott Writing Residency. And in September 22, she was awarded a KSP fellowship by the Catherine Susanna Pritchard Writer Centre in Western Australia to work on her second novel. Now, you know, as a debut writer, that that's highly unusual, don't you? That, you know, you obviously can write. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it is good. It, it's been good to get that. Yeah, it has. Absolutely. So have you always wanted to write or is it yes. your experience that's forced you to write? Tell me which came first. Writing came first. I've been writing since I was a young child, I think, like some of my earliest memories are of my mother taking me to the library and reading me bedtime stories. Um, and so I've always been surrounded by books. And um, my parents tell me I wrote um, my first story when I was five or six, maybe. Um, and um, giving away my age here, but the characters were Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. So, um, yeah, so I have been uh, writing all my life. Yeah. So tell me about your journey to Australia. Yeah, so we came as good migrants to Australia. So as many people do, it wasn't a straightforward decision. Um, there was political unrest and economic un- instability in Sri Lanka, but it was still home with, you know, all those comforts mm. and securities that you take for granted. And still there was this promise of sort of a better life, the first world life, the higher quality of life that you could have potentially in Australia. And so it was a considered decision for your parents and for you guys to come out and you had the resources to make that happen. Yes, that's right. It was a considered decision. Um, It uh, wasn't my parents. It was myself and my uh, now ex-husband and our children. Oh, of course. Um, Yeah. 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 So we did sort of, you have to pay a certain fee and you have to prove um, your skills. And then the Australian government has this skilled migrant list um, saying we need your uh, skills in Australia. So come on over. Um, So 
Yes, it was quite a considered decision, but because we had good jobs, comfortable mm. homes, family, friends, all of that. So you're leaving all of that. And you're or, leaving your family. And you're leaving your family. And you don't really think about the consequences of that until I think you get to the other side and you're in a new country with um, without anyone uh, mm. that you really know and trying to start over. And I think you think that you're prepared for the reality of that, but I, I, I think nothing can really prepare you. Mm. I think, as you probably know, and, and certainly our listeners know, my parents immigrated um, mm-hmm. in the late 50s, you know, and they came from Lebanon. And, mm-hmm. you know, my mother had knowing, and they didn't come from privilege. They didn't have resources. You know, they came on a scheme. Mm-hmm. And the hardship, I used to see my mother in a supermarket and she was miming what she was looking for. Mm-hmm. And all those little things that you don't even think about. She had no language. It is the little things, yes. And even as um, English-speaking migrants, you know, you have an accent. The language is still a bit unfamiliar to you because Australia has a a very specific kind of English and Sri Lanka has a very uh, specific sort of English. So to try and get used to all of that and get used to a new life. It's well, not it's easy. the nuance. It's the nuance. Yeah, exactly. It's the cultural nuance. I mean, I travel yeah. to America as well, to San Francisco once a year. Sure, we might have a common language, but that's about all. You know, yeah. there's so many yes. cultural differences. And yeah. even recently, and I've been going to the US, I think for about 20 years now, and somebody said to me recently, oh, do you are you speaking English? It's like, well, yes, it's a type of English. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I remember trying to explain to someone that they like I speak Sri Lankan English, and yeah. they're saying, "Oh, is that a different language?" But no, it's still English. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you decided to come. Yes. You put in an application. Yes. Um, got in through the state-sponsored migration scheme to come here to Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about Canberra is also that. Yes, it's a city of very highly skilled people and a lot of jobs, but those jobs are in the public service and you have to be a citizen to get those jobs and you don't get your citizenship until you've been here for about four years. And then I I had worked as a journalist in Sri Lanka and I, I just couldn't. Like I, I tried all the newspapers. Um, I did eventually get some freelance work, but not not in journalism. So I just couldn't find um, work to match my skills. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Mm. Tell me, what was your first impression of Canberra? I always think, and I'm asking you that because when I first travelled, and it was many, many years ago, I landed in Vienna. So I went. it was the first time I'd been on a plane. Mm. I was in my early 20s and I went from Sydney to Europe. And I couldn't believe the stark difference of a country that was old, with old buildings, you know, with that was something that was so shocking to me. You know, I didn't expect that because Sydney is, you know, so relatively, oh, well, Australia is so relatively new for yes. modern Australia, of course. And, yes. and, um, and so I, um, I was really, really startled by that. And it was almost a bit of a shock. What was yeah. your first impression of Canberra? Well, I think it's very close to that, that first chapter of my book where I say where my first line is it was the silence that she noticed first and that was very much my first impression that first week it was so quiet Mm. Um, and it was very as you say it is 
sort of a young city. It's a, mm-hmm. and, and everything's kind of shiny, it's clean. So it was very beautiful, but also kind of isolating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was my early mm-hmm. impressions. Of course, I went on to make friends and now I've got like strong roots here and a, um, a beautiful life. But Mm. That took some time and effort to get to. Mm. I just will go back and correct what I said with, you know, Australia being new. I, I mean that in terms of a modern city. Um, you know, yes. First Nations people have been here for hundreds of years. Yes. Um, and I absolutely acknowledge that. Okay, so you're in Canberra. You've got a young family. Tell me about the setup. How did you get housing? How did you, I mean, because all of that is difficult to navigate. Yeah, um, my um the children's father came here first and found housing and all of that. And it wasn't easy, again, because you've got no rental history. Um, so no, no one wants to rent a house to you. But we eventually found uh, a Sri Lankan who kind of understood where we were coming from and was happy to rent us a, a small place. So that was good. And then there was all these practicalities, I suppose, of um, getting set up and finding schools and finding, you know, where to get food, where to get the kind of food that you're used to, finding where the Asian mm-hmm. grocers are, trying to make friends. And again, it was a very, very different experience to life in Sri Lanka, just kind of, you know, like the idea of play groups or mm-hmm. mother's clubs, book clubs, mm-hmm. all that's kind of new. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I didn't, um, I couldn't drive. And this was uh, a huge barrier in those early years of because to get to a suburb that would take maybe 10 minutes to drive would be like a one-hour journey on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I, I look back at those years and I feel like I spent so much time um, on the streets waiting for buses with my little daughter. Um, and, and another difficult experience was uh, that my uh, daughter, who was two and a half at the time, um, she was diagnosed uh, with autism, mm. um, and that was quite difficult, like quite quite a difficult thing to go through when we were still new migrants, and sort of access services for that and try and you know get get her the best support that we could. It was sort of an additional layer to that experience in the early years. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Mm. So, what was your first job? first paid job where you were recognized for the skills that you have? Um, my first paid job was actually being a, an admin assistant at um, this little organization called Imagine More um, and they advocate for people with disability um, to have to have a, a better life and in, to be included in mainstream society and I got to know um, the head of that organization through advocating for my daughter um, and so and I got that opportunity and that was a part-time job and I was very excited to have it um, it was 15 hours a week and then from there on um, I started applying to other jobs and I got a job as a digital comms coordinator um, and I'm really still that that was actually the first job that did match my skills and where I could work in writing and communications. And my boss there was Mark and he I'm still in touch with him. And like he always like tells me he's so proud of how far I've come. And he still thinks about, you know, the, the girl who did the interview with him and how 
enthusiastic and keen I was when I got mm. that job. Mm. Um, but I'm really grateful for to that organization for, for giving me a chance as well and for recognizing my skills. Like Mark says, he read um, one of my articles and that that was what made him decide to hire me because he could see I was a good writer. And so to base it off just actual skill and not look at, um, you know, oh, she's from Sri Lanka, her experience isn't quite relevant. It's to, to not think like that, um, I think it's still, it's still mm. something special. Mm, definitely. So when did you start thinking about writing or had you been writing untethered, you know, from when you arrived, from when you were back home? When did that book start to come about? Um, I had that my main character Zia in my mind for a really long time, like before I migrated. Um, and I was writing this book in bits and pieces and sort of like writing is my way of making sense of my experiences and mm. the world around me. Yeah, so I, I was writing a scene here and there. And then what happened was that I won this Penguin Fellowship for um, a very early draft. But you won because you submitted. So you had something and you thought yeah. it was worth well, tell me about that process. Firstly, how did you find out about that that prize and then how it is? Because there's so many people out there that would like to start writing. Mm. And like you, many authors have told me that a good way to start testing your writing is to enterprises. I think so. I would fully vouch for that from my experience mm. um, because I was sort of just scribbling in the dark and, you know, not thinking too far ahead about publication. And a friend of mine um, who knew that I was writing sent me the link about this fellowship. And at the time, I, I really, like I submitted, but I did not think I would win because I didn't think I would get shortlisted because I only had 10,000 words when I um, entered the competition. And then I heard afterwards, like they, they wrote to say, you've been shortlisted, send us your full manuscript, you've got three weeks. Oh, um, ouch. <laughs> yeah, which is, and I didn't think that I uh, I would do it. And I rang my friend and I, I was so upset that, you know, I've been shortlisted. What, have, what was I thinking? And she just said, oh, that's, you know, that's fine. Just do it. Just keep writing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this, here's this opportunity. So close. My lifelong dream to be an author. I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I think I got to about. 40,000 words, but I had them in three weeks. In three weeks. Wow. <laughs> I, wow. I, I won't say a lot um, of anything else got done in those three weeks. Um, my daughter's dad looked after her. Um, I, anyway, the house was still standing. The chil children were alive. The book was that's, done. Yeah. That's all, <laughs> the that's first right. draft was done. <laughs> tick, yeah. tick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, and then I won that fellowship. And I have to say that that was an incredible experience. And um, working with um, the editor at Penguin, I learned so much. And uh, she really um, helped me develop the story into a full, a full-fledged novel, I think. I mean, it's amazing. It, it's acknowledgement, isn't it, when when you win a prize like that and you get that fabulous relationship with an editor. Yes. I mean, it is really a dream come true, isn't it? It was. It, it was part of the dream come true because mm. um, that didn't lead to publication. And even though, you know, I mean, you know, publishing is a bit of a mystery at the end, like what, what gets there and what doesn't. I think it's, um, yes, you, you have a, good piece of work but also it's a little bit of luck depends on who picks up your manuscript what the market is like all those things mm, and what people yeah. are reading at the time okay exactly all right what was the next step to publication did you go back and rework your manuscript tell me how you approached it I did rework it a bit but not too much because I didn't have I, I felt like by the end of the fellowship the book was in good shape and the feedback I was getting wasn't anything particular that I could change in terms of the book itself. So I just started um, submitting everywhere else that I could think of, including this competition with ASA and uh, Harlequin HarperCollins, which eventually I won after, I think it was about 18 months after that. Mm-hmm. And how did how did you feel about that? Oh, incredible, amazing. Mm. <laughs> like just that was a dream come true. Mm-hmm. as well yeah and which led to publication that's right yes so yes I'm, I'm still I'm still riding on that high it's just like been um surreal mm-hmm. it's a very personal book isn't it talk to me about how it is that you because it's partly fiction isn't it in a way well it's fiction but there's a lot of you in it um and there's a lot of your experience uh talk to me about how that feels how you fictionalize your own life how does that feel yeah that's an interesting question and one that often people ask and you know how much of this is true and it's not an easy one to answer because I think like all writers do. Yes, I'm drawing on my emotional experience and my personal experience. Of course. Yeah, I am very much drawing from that experience of being an immigrant, of being a Sri Lankan Muslim woman. Um, Having said that, none of the events in the book mirror the events in my life, but Mm. there's a lot of emotional truth there. So I I think um, something else that I did is explore some what-if scenarios. Um, For example... My own mother, she was um, married at 19, never had an opportunity for a higher education. But she was quite determined that her daughter's lives would be different. And so she wanted us to go to university and to have careers. So in my character Zia's case, I thought, you know, what if she had similar dreams and ambitions to myself? But like um, many other Sri Lankan Muslim women, like my mother, she didn't have the opportunity to pursue those um, so I did sort of explore scenarios like that. 
um, I did explore my emotional experience of being a Muslim woman who'd been in a very uh, traditional environment and coming to Australia and sort of being free of those boundaries and having to choose which ones to keep or not. I thought it was interesting in that, you know, you're walking away from so many rules and regulations and boundaries and, you know, uh, in a different life, but you walked into more. They were just different, <laughs> didn't they you? Were just, yeah, that's right. Um, there's always going to be boundaries of, of some sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I guess the, the important thing is where you have choice to to be able to choose which ones to keep or not. Mm. I often meet people and, uh, you know, they might be be cleaners or, you know, they might be working on public transport or whatever. And if you get into a conversation with people, you find out more about them. And I am nosy in that way. I love hearing people's (laughs) stories. I just love it. And very often these people are highly skilled. They could be doctors, solicitors, you know, teachers, nurses, and they haven't been able to get accredited here. So they're doing what they can. And, and I feel in a way that breaks my heart. I mean, it's great that that they're where they want to be and they've got an opportunity, but it's not easy leaving your homeland and then it's no. not easy compromising on the life that you wanted to live. It's not. And as I said before, it's not um, something that you're really prepared for, even though, you know, before you come, you think, yes, I'm going to start from the bottom up. I'm going to work mm. hard. But then you're here doing a job, as you say, as a cleaner or you're working at, at, as a supermarket mm. uh, assistant and you're like, who am I? Mm. Uh, if if your identity um, is uh, based on what you did for a living and your skills and your education and it, it really does affect you in a deep way, I think. Mm. How did you keep that alive in you? How did you keep going? Um, I think... Suppose I tried, like as as a writer, I I was able to still believe in myself and to know that, you know, I I do have something, maybe no one will ever read what I write, but I I have this thing that keeps me going and I believe that this is good. And also to to keep trying, I think like most immigrants, I didn't give up, um, kept applying for jobs. I I must have applied for, I don't know, maybe a hundred jobs like throughout the years. And yeah, I, I suppose if you keep keep knocking on that door, at some point it's going to open. At mm. some point you're going to um, meet somebody um, like, you know, like my early bosses who did believe in me and gave me a chance. Mm. Yeah, I hope that happens for, for a lot of people. I mean, you know, um, I feel that too there's, you know, you're trying to get on with your own life and, you know, this is my parents and you're working, you know, they both worked. They had a corner shop and my mother mm-hmm. sewed glow mesh purses and, you know, just to give us a better life, you know. Um, That's right. And and you're right too. I think for some people they just have to, they just pick a different path and they stick with it because they think it works better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works better for yeah. their children. It's so yeah. selfless. It's so yes. selfless on so many levels. We were so fortunate. But you see it around you and, and mm. also the yearning of home and your homeland. And even though I was born in Australia, I still have a yearning for Lebanon. There is something, yes. a connection. I've yes. been a couple of times, but there is something that I'm very, very connected with. And again, yes. that costs money to come and go. 
Yes, it does. And did, did you also find when you do go to Lebanon that you don't quite belong there either? That, that's been my experience going back to Sri Lanka. Yes, that it felt so much like home, but there's something in me that doesn't fully fit in here anymore. And there's something in me that will never feel fully fit in in Australia. And I suppose that's that feeling of being untethered. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I feel. And I was born here. And do you know, um, I've told this story before, but many years ago when my grandmother was still alive, I went to Lebanon and she was so proud of me. You know, she was taking me around, see all her neighbours, you know, all her friends. And she said, the first house we went to, she said, this is my granddaughter and she's Australian. And I said, no, 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 said that. I'm not Australian. I said, I'm Lebanese. And she's like, oh. <laughs> my son's a bit like that like um, yeah. if we say he's Australian he'll be like no I'm Sri Lankan yeah like well you're Sri Lankan Australian now you have to like accept That's right. that as your identity yeah yeah and you live in in between forever, I think, yes. that that's just the way it is. Yeah. I often um, observe um, some migrants that leave their homeland and they, to be able to get on in another country, they shut off their homeland, like no connection. Yes. That's that's the way they deal with it. You know, that didn't work yeah. for me and my family, but, I'm, sh- you know, for other people it's the only way they can deal with it mentally and emotionally and they that's just right. cut that place off and start a new life. And I think yeah. that's so brave. Yes, I, th- I think it's brave however you choose to do this. It's just to, to leave behind everything and everyone mm. you know and start a new life from scratch. That takes so much courage. Doesn't mm, it? Well, the book is called Untethered. I have just loved chatting with you. I wish you all the best. Um, Thank you, Cheryl. And I'm sure this book is going to do very well. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. Like I've, um, yeah, I've been looking forward to it a lot. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Tyler Tsinas. I'm Khaled Sinas, and I have been training a global community of women since 2009. I've created a brand new podcast, Sweat Daily, to help you level up your life and reach your health and well-being goals. From fitness tips to food that fuels you, meditation to motivation, we've got you covered. Sweat Daily, the happiest, healthiest, and most confident version of you awaits. Available on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.